You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported, Community Radio for South Central Indiana. Good afternoon. Reporting for WFHB, this is Noelle Herhusky-Schneider. And I'm Cade Young. This is the WFHB Local News for Wednesday, August 9th, 2023. In today's feature report, we have the second half of a discussion between environmental correspondent Zero Rose and Delaney Barber, Outreach, Energy, and Climate Coordinator for the Hoosier Environmental Council. More in the bottom half of tonight's show. Also coming up in the next half hour, Dodgier Than Ever on Better Beware, your weekly consumer watchdog segment on WFHB. More following today's feature. But first, your local headlines. The Bloomington Board of Public Works met on August 1st, 2023. At the meeting, the board approved a noise permit for the Lotus World Music and Arts Festival's event, Lotus in the Park. Director of Public Works Adam Wason shared more details about the noise permit request. A very similar footprint to years past with Lotus. Um, they were also going to be doing an arts village, which we they have removed that as part of the application. Um, as we kind of <clears throat> saw in the application packet, um, it does list um, the start and end times for the festival being Thursday evening through Sunday. Um, I've emailed Jillian Campbell, their um, engagement director, to let them know um, that we do have the end times as usual um, for Lotus at midnight night uh, and that the resolution and the uh, approval tonight, uh, if the board would approve it, would include that uh, midnight uh, hard stop each evening as they've done in years past. So, The Board of Public Works also approved Indiana University's event, the Student Involvement Fair. Wason shared the permit request. Uh, the Student Involvement Fair has, is being put on by uh, 300 different student organizations within community departments with the campus. Um, this will take place on uh, August 25, 2023, on the same footprint they've used in years past. The board approved a noise permit request from the City of Bloomington Utilities for nighttime construction on Fountain Drive. Assistant Director of Utilities James Hall presented the request. Hi, James Hall, City of Bloomington Utilities. Um, we're requesting a noise variance um, for a water main replacement relocation up on Fountain Drive um, between um, Crescent and Gray Street. Um, the north end of the project will actually end at uh, Bender Lumber's main headquarters there. Um, we're going to be performing this work at night. There's a lot of industrial um, trucks and other um, things that come through there off 11th Street and JV Salvage and HFI. And we just figured we would hinder the least amount of people if we perform this work at night. Um, we're hoping to start the work this Sunday and be completed by Friday afternoon. Um, we would close the road down um, during the nighttime from 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. Um, and then we would uh, have the road ready to be uh, uh, to be passage on um, at 6 a.m. again the next every morning. But we will be using excavators and other heavy equipment, uh, very similar to the project we did a month ago um, down uh, just north of Kirkwood. 
At the last Board of Public Works meeting, the board tabled a discussion on a sidewalk closure at 2038 North Walnut Street. Engineering Department Public Improvements Manager Maria McCormick updated the board on the closure request. Hi, Maria McCormick from Engineering Department. This is a petition that was tabled at last week's meeting for 2038 North Walnut Street. This is um, a new building that's going in on that parcel. Um, we have since talked with the contractor. They will be keeping the sidewalk open until they get to the point of um, having to do their street cuts, at which time they'll come back to the board um, for a closure request. Um, they'll do that work um, with the sidewalk closed as limited time as possible. Um, and then we will have the sidewalk open for the most of the duration of the project as a covered walkway or a protected sidewalk. Um, we just wanted to give you guys an update um, since it was tabled last week and we pulled that petition. Um, we will be coming, bringing back um, a petition for when they start to do, um, the, when, they, when they're doing the footers um, and some of the grading, they will need to have the sidewalk closed just because they will be working so closely to it. Um, but for the majority of the project, the sidewalk will remain open um, and be a covered, protected sidewalk. The Bloomington Board of Public Works will meet again on August 15th, 2023. In today's feature report, WFHB environmental correspondent Zero Rose explores funding provisions of the Federal Inflation Reduction Act and other climate pollution reduction measures being advocated and implemented in Indiana with Delaney Barber of the Hoosier Environmental Council. We turn to Rose for more. recently participated in a webinar uh, panel and I believe it part touched partly upon the uh, Inflation Reduction Act and some of the provisions in there. Um, do you see inroads or progress uh, with Indiana uh, taking advantage of some of those federal funds? Yes, so at this time, we are pushing a lot of people to know what consumer incentives are out there and how to take advantage of them. And we're also a resource for local governments or nonprofits um, to point them in the right direction and connect them with people that can um, have that technical assistance help because there's a lot of money out there, not just for tax credits to implement your own change in your home, um, or apartment, whatever your residence is. Um, there's also a lot for your local government to take advantage of, your local nonprofits to take advantage of. And then at the same time, we are advocating to the state to make sure that they are 
implementing and taking full advantage of the Climate Pollution Reduction Grant, which they did submit a notice of intent for and are currently looking for a consultant. And that is going to make sure the state makes a climate action plan and does a greenhouse gas inventory, which we've never had before. So this money is definitely spurring um, a lot of states that wouldn't have done it themselves to take advantage of these opportunities. Um, and then in central Indiana, they also qualified for the Climate Pollution Reduction Grant. And so the Marion County, so Indianapolis, Carmel, Anderson, metropolitan area, which I think extends down to Nashville, Indiana as well, um, is also creating a regional climate action plan that connects all of these counties, including transportation and emissions. Um, and they are also going to be hosting public sessions as well. So there are people taking advantage of things that are already available. Um, we have ways of tracking new opportunities as they become available as well. And then we can help people take advantage of those consumer incentives and also fight to make sure that those consumer incentives stay available for the 10 years that they are allotted for. And uh, imagine they're going to try to implement some uh, private partnerships get some other entities to do matching monies and things like that on those, maybe? Um, so the, I know the Climate Pollution Reduction Grants do not require community matching. Um, some of these funding opportunities do, but the, the pollution grants did not require any matching. And once the initial stage is complete, there'll be a competitive pool of about 4.6 Mm, I want to say million dollars, billion dollars <laughs> um, available for competitive opportunities to implement what is in your climate action plan. And that does not have to be implemented by the agency that's leading the climate action plan. So that could be implemented by INDOT or other regional transportation organizations if it's a transportation related initiative. And uh I know that generally you're kind of dealing with the home team or uh, within the choir, uh, but are you seeing any kind of a cultural backlash with uh, kind of the climate change denialism and kind of a, a general conservative consensus at this point, not, not totally across the board, but here in Indiana, uh, are you seeing any kind of resistance from either, you know, local communities or particular legislators or uh, state officials? So actually, my first in-person session in the state house was this past 2023 session, and we talked a lot about climate change um, because of the climate change task force Senate bill that we were trying to get through. It did get a hearing. It did not get a vote though. Um, so we're gonna keep pushing that action to be taken in different policies. But in those discussions, um, there are a lot of legislators at the state house that do admit that climate change is real and it's happening. 
I think there's a disconnect really with how much is it actually affecting us? How much can we actually attribute to our emissions that we're emitting ourselves? And then how serious is it matching that up with what policy do we really need to take? Um, Is this a step too far? I think is the disconnect with it. And on our side, we're like, we needed to be doing things 10, 20 years ago. It is, it is very important to do it right now. Um, And so there's less of that climate denial, but it's not a motivator to do certain policies at this point. Um, It's not a reason to take action in the state house. And we're missing that disconnect in our, um, environmental policies, like around our wetlands. Um, We need to protect those even more than ever um, because they help us with floods and heavy rainfall. And we're not seeing opportunities in our energy utilities as well to to push um, our renewable energy growth that needed to be pushed a long time ago. But Solar and wind are becoming cheaper. Oh, sorry. Um, So solar and wind are becoming cheaper and they haven't had the same leg up as oil and gas has in the past. Um, And even with the leg up uh, and funding that oil and gas has, solar and wind are becoming very feasible for communities. And we're kind of just seeing a resistance um, from the utility end to make that transition and make it make it quicker. And so are there any uh, major projects in the state that you would point to as something that has been successful as far as implementation or overcoming any kind of local pushback and basically are integrated at this point and supplying homes with energy or uh, any other kind of uh, resilience mitigation? Let's see. Um, I know recently, and I can't think of the county off the top of my head, um, we spoke at when they were thinking about their solar ordinances. So we're seeing a lot of county level solar and wind ordinances go into place, some more destructive than others. Um, And we had a win there with um, making sure that it wasn't restrictive. It was putting in good solar policy to allow solar in the city limits. Um, For climate, the Environmental Resilience Institute has been doing a great job at helping local communities take climate wins. So with their McKinney Climate Fellow Program, They've provided um, support to make climate action plans, to do greenhouse gas inventories. Um, I know some big wins is the city of Goshen is a good example. The city of Indianapolis has been really active, the city of Zionsville. Um, And for instance, the city of Evansville just hired, I believe, a sustainability coordinator or someone to fill that role, which hasn't been available in the past because that's in response to the Climate Pollution Reduction Grant in, in conjunction with Kentucky. So 
we are seeing a lot of action at the local level on climate. Um, and we're seeing a lot of wins there. So being active in those communities, not just at the state house level, but at the county and city level, um, we're seeing a lot of great opportunities for climate action implementation. And uh, is there anything else that you uh, want to highlight that Hoosier Environmental Council is doing or how people can get involved with the community solar initiative? Yes. So if you sign up for our e-news on our website, hecweb.org, um, we will be keeping everyone up to date on how they can get active in the community solar initiative, which is going to be one of our big initiatives um, this coming session. Um, additionally, we will be hosting a how to engage with your legislator webinar um, sometime in September, and that will be released shortly on our website, social media, and through our e-news. So you can get training on how to speak with your legislators about wetlands and community solar specifically. Um, and you can also take action right now on wetlands by sending a message to your legislator on our website through um, a form on our homepage. But we strongly encourage the best way to make an impact on these issues is to try to meet with your legislator in person with the second best being calling them. But if you don't have a lot of time, there are easy ways to take action consistently on these issues. Well, great. Uh, thank you for uh, letting our audience know uh, about some ways that they can get involved to try to have some impact on this situation. I know a lot of people are feeling kind of powerless and overwhelmed and are really looking for something that they can participate in to uh, give back to the life support systems and reserve them for future generations. So we appreciate you being with us. Thank you for having me. This is In Nature. I'm Kaylin Huffman Brower. This segment of In Nature is about the endangered species, the smooth green snake. The smooth green snake is a 14 to 26 inch long, small and streamlined, bright grass green snake with a long tapering tail. The belly is white and tinged with pale yellow. It mates in the spring and late summer and lays 3 to 11 cylindrical shaped thin shelled eggs in late July to August. The young hatch in 4 to 23 days. A choice egg-laying site may be shared by many females. You can find the smooth green snake in meadows, grassy marshes, and moist grassy fields along the forest edge. They are active during the day and excellent climbers. Their color provides excellent camouflage as it moves through the grass and low shrubs in search of insects and spiders. They rarely bite when handled, but will smear a captor's hand with a musky anal secretion. It is hunted by various predators, including the red-tailed hawk, bears, raccoons, foxes, housecats, and humans. Humans like to keep them as pets, but they do not survive well in captivity. The smooth green snake population is declining, 
because of pesticides as well as destruction of habitats. Indiana is one of the few states protecting the smooth green snake. You've been listening to In Nature. Up next, dodgier than ever on Better Beware, your weekly consumer watchdog segment on WFHB. We turn to host and producer Richard Fish for more. Welcome to Better Beware. Here's your consumer watchdog from WFHB Community Radio with the latest information and helpful hints designed to keep your head out of the clouds, your feet on the ground, and your money in your pocket. One of our listeners had a weird experience lately, and I'd like to pass it on to you. He missed a call that apparently came from Crown Point, Indiana, and thought it might be a real one because he had been researching something in that area and was expecting a call back, so he returned it. A young woman answered that it was a charity raising funds for breast cancer. Apparently, she was reading from a script and didn't do it very well. Then she said she was handing the call off to a supervisor, And when the call resumed, our listener felt sure it was the same person trying to do a different voice. Moreover, the so-called new person started pitching for contributions to a fund supporting volunteer firefighters. There was even a pitch about electing officials who support volunteer firefighters. Our listener thought the whole thing was very dodgy, and so do I. He went ahead and reported the whole thing to the Better Business Bureau and the Federal Trade Commission. Good for him. But it points up the basic precautions we all need to take. Don't answer phone calls if you don't recognize the caller ID. Don't give your personal information to any stranger who calls you. And before contributing to any charity, check it out on websites like charitynavigator.org or give.org. Fraud is a really big business these days, and it's getting bigger really fast. The Associated Press recently quoted the Federal Trade Commission's figures that reported losses to scammers rose 30% in 2022 alone, reaching a mind-boggling $8.8 billion. The crooks stole the biggest chunks of money in investment scams, you know, the ones that promise high returns with very little risk when just the opposite is true. And the biggest increase was in cryptocurrency scams, which more than doubled in a single year. The biggest red flags are still the same old ones, though. Scammers try to get you to react emotionally, either by threatening you and making you afraid, or dangling some kind of very attractive bait like big chunks of money, and making you excited about something that sounds too good to be true. Secondly, con artists always want you to act now, act quickly. The whole thing is urgent for some reason, or there's a deadline coming up. And finally, the Ghanifs always want you to pay money, and they want it in cash, or by wire transfer, or by using a gift card or some online payment service that means you can't get your money back when you find out you've been diddled. Many thanks to our listener who reported his strange experience to us. 
and big applause for not getting ripped off. If one of the scammers who hits on you, and it happens every day now, gives you a story you'd like to pass on, send us an email at beware at wfhb.org. I'm Richard Fish for WFHB News and Public Affairs. Better Beware comes to you from WFHB Bloomington, Indiana. Find all our episodes at wfhb.org. If you can help put the kibosh on a con, email beware at wfhb.org. Remember, swindlers never give a sucker an even break. Support for the WFHB Local News is brought to you by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water, solar electricity, and solar hot air systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. More information online at mpisolarenergy.com. been listening to WFHB Local News. Today's headlines were written by Kate Young and Noel Herhusky Schneider in partnership with CATS Community Access Television Services. Our feature was produced by Zero Rose. Better Beware is produced by Richard Fish. Our theme music is provided by Mark Bingham and the Social Climbers. For WFHB, this is your engineer and executive producer, Cade Young. And I'm Noel Herhusky Schneider. Thanks for supporting Indiana's only volunteer-powered, listener-supported, independent daily news program. You can hear tonight's full broadcast online at wfhb.org. The WFHB Local News is also available as a podcast. Just search our call letters WFHB wherever you listen to your podcasts. Subscribe to never miss another local news program. Stay tuned for cool solutions, climate action from the bottom up. Coming up next on WFHB Community Radio. WFHB Local News on WFHB Community Radio. Our news is written and reported by volunteers working to provide local news, cover local issues, and strengthen our local community. We invite you to participate. You may submit questions, comments, and story ideas to news at WFHB.org. You can become a WFHB Local News Volunteer by attending new volunteer orientation. Feel free to check out the WFHB Local News Archive at WFHB.org to find newscasts, individual stories, and catch a live feed of the WFHB Local News. We are local, longer, 